The Invisible War. <clears throat> the Invisible War is a battle for the mind. Why? Because actions are determined in our mind. Eternal destinies are processed in our mind. It is the battlefield where our enemy, Satan, attacks in almost every case. How one chooses to think or believe about anything will largely determine the outcome. And this is especially true in our Christian walk. In our text today, a text that I preached from about a year ago, and I find myself referring to it quite often in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to read three verses, verse 3, 4, and 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you did not leave us orphaned, but when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came to indwell every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Father, that through the Holy Spirit you have empowered us to live in the freedom of the life of Christ, victorious as believers. And yet, Father, statistically we learn that eight out of ten Christians walk in defeat, held back by strongholds. Strongholds because they have believed the lies of the enemy, the fiery darts that he slings at us. I pray, Father, that you would help me this morning particularly to, to communicate in a way that is clear. I pray that the Holy Spirit would use the Word of God in our hearts and in our lives. And I pray, Father, that each of us would be confronted with the truth of your Word this morning. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> There is a difference be between something being simple and simplistic. I read of a couple men who were professors at the same university. They were attending the same conference. One was a, an astronomer and the other was a theologian. Neither was uh, much impressed or very patient with the field of the other's experience. The astronomer said to the theologian, a bit sarcastically, I suppose everything about religion could sort of be boiled down to the golden rule. You know, kind of love your neighbors as yourself. That, that's kind of the gist of it, isn't it? Not to be outdone, the theologian retorted, well, I suppose it could be put that way. Kind of like in astronomy, everything sort of boils down to twinkle, twinkle, little star, right? Sometimes we want to be simple, but turn things into simplistic statements that are far from reality. 
On the other hand, with our desire to sound high-tech and in the know, we can make things that are very simple quite complex. I heard in the, or read in the advertisement from the Canadian Financial Times. This was the advertisement. This is a full-blown, state-of-the-art, fully integrated, user-friendly, multifunctional, omnilingual, multitasking, word and data processing system with advanced graphic generation capabilities. They were advertising pencils. It's what we call baffle gab. We used to call it gobbledygook. The bureaucratic tendency for verbiage and excessive words which supply, supposedly, uh, clarification. Reminds me of the New York plumber who didn't know whether he could use hydrochloric acid to unclog drains. To be on the safe side, he wrote to the Bureau of Standards in Washington, D.C., and this was their response. The efficacy of hydrochloric acid is indisputable, but the corrosive residue is incompatible with metallic substances. The plumber read the note and wrote back thanking them for the permission to use it. The Bureau panicked and rushed off another letter which said, we cannot assume responsibility for the production of toxic and noxious residue which hydrochloric acid can produce. We suggest you use an alternative procedure. The plumber was flattered that they would write and okay his use of hydrochloric acid a second time, but was a little confused, so he wrote to them again. And this time, the Bureau's head honcho, the primary communicator, grabbed the occasion and wrote, don't use the acid, it will eat through the pipes. That is clear, simple communication. No baffle gab. Sometimes in our effort to make something clear, we say too much, and sometimes too little. This morning I hope we hit the balance that Scripture gives, and I think 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, says it well. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simple, not simplistic. Simple, not complicated. Though the gospel has many, many, many dimensions that relate to our salvation, it is simple enough that even a child can understand. Scripture is clear and direct that we are in a battle. <clears throat> when we refer to warfare, we understand that there is such a thing as a physical battle. In the world of war, it is very simple to identify the combatants in most cases. They have a geographical location where hostile forces are trying to gain mastery over the other. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, it isn't as easy to identify because there's no blood, you can smell no smoke, and it's difficult to take a body count. But the battle is real, very real. 
And in this battle, the enemy knows nothing about Geneva Accords or anything remotely similar to fair play. In the verse we just read, Paul refers to Satan's craftiness, a word that describes the use of deception and deceit. We find the word wiles, craftiness, and in our text today, the word devices. Satan is a spiritual terrorist, masquerading in most cases as an angel of light, and his cohorts as wolves seeking to destroy the flock. But it is especially the term used in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, that we find in our text also. I want to read those verses. And Paul is uh, instructing them to, reminding them of the critical need of of forgiveness. And I have found in my ministry career that the the most devastating uh, attack that Satan brings that defeats more Christians, I believe, than any other is an unwillingness to forgive. An unwillingness to forgive other people, an unwillingness to forgive themselves, and you have to take this right, but an unwillingness to forgive God. We place all, God doesn't need to be forgiven, but we place all kinds of things on him and resent and hold against God things that uh, we choose not to let go of, not to see from his perspective. And this is all the lies of the enemy. The mind tricks, the mind games that he plays with our minds. Verse 10, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Why? Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan is a liar, and Jesus said there is no truth found in him. And it is through deception, dishonesty, and lies that Satan attacks our mind. The word devices is simply the word mind. Paul is saying, don't be ignorant of the mind games Satan will use. He attacks and assaults our minds And it is here in our mind that the battles are won or lost. A thought that is inaccurate, that is a lie from Satan. Usually the process is then in an emotion, following the thought, and ultimately a decision. This process precedes every defeat we encounter as believers. This is the battleground of the invisible war. It works so well because most Christians deny the reality of satanic or demonic involvement in a Christian's life. We're beyond that. That's superstition. My Bible tells me that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age, talking about demonic beings that are very much alive and well and able to throw those fiery darts of dishonesty and lies into our mind. I am speaking from experience on that one, and I think a lot of the rest of you could say that's really true. I 
I agree, but I know that many Christians, perhaps most, do not believe in the direct interference and involvement primarily through the mind of demonic beings. It is here that Paul describes the battle for the mind, and we can and we must be victorious. Paul uses two examples as he introduces this in this text, in verses 1 and 2, from his own life. Remember, this is the context. Paul is back now after the two-chapter interlude, referring to the false teachers that had come to Corinth to shoot the messenger that the message might be disregarded. They were using character act. Uh, character assassination, and everything they could to destroy the credibility of the Apostle Paul. And in verse 1, he says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. What the Apostle Paul is doing there is throwing back at them one of the accusations that had been leveled at him. What they were saying, that when you were with us, you were lowly, they said. But when you're away, you come on like gangbusters. When you write letters, you let it all rip out. Paul, you're, you're, you're a hypocrite. That was the accusation. And then in verse 2, But I beg you, that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. The other accusation that Paul was living a sinful lifestyle. He was carnal. He was all about himself. It wasn't about them. These accusations came because of the false teachers who had resorted to character assassination in order to discredit the message he preached. Now sometimes the enemy of our soul uses people from without to discourage and to defeat us. And that was the the, the two examples that he gives starting off. And when that is the instance, Paul said in verse 1, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. When we are attacked, the enemy uses others to attack us, we're to respond in truth, firmly, but gently and in meekness. You know, so many times when we're attacked, we think it's about us, and it's really not about us at all. It's usually about them or about God. But the more common attack of the enemy in our lives, in our personal lives, as it relates to our walk with the Lord, is not as easily identified. They come from within. And I want to point out in verse 5, as we skip down, casting down arguments, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. These two words, arguments and thoughts, dealing with the mind, the word arguments there, as we see as it's used in, uh, elsewhere in Romans, it has the idea of 
rationalizations or excuses that we have in our mind as we argue with the Holy Spirit and try to justify our actions. That is where the battle rages. Many Christians are unaware of this reality because they've withdrawn from the battle. What's the use? I'm going to deal with this stronghold. I'm going to be defeated by it the rest of my life. Uh, They believe the lies. They believe there's no possibility of change, so they surrender. But change, victory, living in Christ's freedom requires engagement in the invisible war. Satan has a stronghold on this corrupt world system. 1 John 5, 19 says that the whole world is under the sway or the influence of the evil one. He also has an ally in our sinful, fleshly nature, which we inherited from Adam. And in most cases that I have observed in my own life is that when there is a temptation, a tendency to sin that originates in my flesh, the method of the enemy is like coals in a fire. He, flan- he fans them and stirs them up. And sometimes it actually originates from without, but it can originate from within. But Satan will then do his dirty work using as an ally our sinful fleshly nature. And he himself is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but most often does so as an angel of light. His primary method is deception, lie, mind games. That is why that is why Satan always attacks in the battlefield of the mind. Now real quickly here, the nature of our walk. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The point that he is making here is that we are still in the flesh. We do not have a glorified body. We've not been raised to the presence of Christ. We're still in this world. And we will always be in this world until the day we die. But we're not to be of this world. We know that principle. But we are in this world. That does not mean, then, that we confront the the, uh, attack of the enemy with fleshly means. Though we are human, physical mortal mortal beings, our warfare is spiritual and our enemy is much stronger than we are. That's why we must not rely on human resources. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, human, carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The warfare is in the spiritual realm. It is unseen, but so very real. What is the nature of our warfare? Our war? We do not war according to the flesh. So how do we? I want you to turn, if you would, to Ephesians. You know this passage. Ephesians 6. I want to read it again. It says much the same thing. Finally, verse 10. 
Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Most Christians, in practical terms, have ripped that page out of the Bible. They really don't believe that the warfare is that real. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith that with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Stand, therefore, is an imperative. It puts the responsibility for us to begin be engaged, aware, initiative, armor, vigilance, desire, belief, above all else. So let's take a little a closer look at these weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. The passage that I just read in Ephesians 6 began putting on the robe or being girded about with truth. The last implement of our armor was taking the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. His truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from its sight, his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I've pointed this out before. That passage begins by talking about the written word of God, and, in, and it just naturally goes into using personal pronouns referring to Jesus. Jesus is the living word, the written word, the word of God is an exact, accurate reflection of the truth of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I'm talking about using the Word of God as the primary implement of our warfare. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we read this. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Why? Because your adversary, the devil, 
walks about like a roaring lion. Did you hear that? Our adversary is not our environment. It's not our fleshly nature. It's not the world, although that's all true. But our primary adversary is the devil. He is the one that wants to use all those things to defeat us and destroy us and make us irrelevant to a watching world desperately in need of Christ. He walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Then it says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Now I know I'm, I'm repeating myself. You've heard this before. But it says in Ephesians to take the shield of, in the original language, take the shield of the faith. This is the shield. This is the shield that we use in warfare. And it says that we might quench the fiery darts of the evil one. Where do those darts go to? Right here. Those darts are lies that are cast at our mind. And the way we confront that is the shield of truth, being girded with truth, taking the word of God as the sword of the Spirit. It is only as we call a lie a lie and speak the truth that it is a lie that we are able to confront it. The nature of our warfare then has these three goals in mind. First of all, pulling down strongholds. A stronghold is a fortress or walled defense constructed by our old sinful nature in opposition to God's truth and His will for our lives. That is what a stronghold is. We have them, those besetting sins, those attitudes of long-standing which keep us from living and being all that God would have us be. That habit that drains us of spiritual vitality, those character deficiencies that crop up repetitiously to embarrass and to shame us. These walled fortresses defy every human effort to subdue them. And every time we encounter them, we inevitably lose the battle. Why? <clears throat> Thinking about the strongholds that are in your life. I'm sure you have one or two or three or four or a dozen or more. We all are in the same boat in this. We all have those challenges because we have believed the lie. And the strongholds have, have, have built up. What do we do? Here's what we normally do. We try to do better. We ask God to forgive us and to strengthen us, not to give in to that temptation again. That's called sin management. And it never works. And you know it. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there, done that. Every one of us. The only way we're ever going to defeat the strongholds that Satan tries to build in our lives is by using the war implements that God said contains the power of God to bring change to our lives. And that is in believing the word of God, speaking the word of God that we might identify the lie and stand against it 
and see that the life of Christ begun to live within us. Pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The enemy subtly seeks to make us think that we know better than God. Oh, how we argue the fine points to justify our desires in opposition to what God has revealed. That's that word um, that we saw back in, in the, at the beginning, Nua. Um, I forget how to pronounce it. We wouldn't admit it, but often we argue ourselves into competition with God. Every time we choose to disobey, we are in essence saying we know better, and by so doing, make ourselves to be God. And was that not the first sin in the Garden of Eden? Is there something in your life that you were unwilling to give over to the Lord? Think about that. Is there, is there anything? Most of us would have to say, yeah, there's this one thing or two or three that I've kind of wanted to hang on to, and it's, it's, it's defeating me. It's taken all the joy out of my life. I have no peace. All I do is struggle. And uh, you maybe know from experience, or you've observed, that there is no more miserable person in this world than a Christian who is walking in disobedience to the Lord. If you're truly a Christian, you know what I'm talking about because the hand of the Spirit of God brings conviction. And, and it's heavy when we resist and we walk on in our disobedience and unhappiness. And I think the bottom line underneath the battle for the mind is found in the 12th chapter of Romans, chapter 1 and 2, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. The word present there is a punctiliar verb. It means it happens at a point in time where we surrender our will to Jesus and place ourselves as a living sacrifice to do at his command. It's, it's acknowledging and bowing to the authority of the living God. And Jesus is said to be the despotes, the ultimate, final, highest form of authority that there is, and all authority answers to him. And one day, we will all stand before Jesus. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment for the unbeliever, the great white throne, where it's a sentencing to a lake of fire. To the Christian, it's the judgment seat of Christ, where we'll be judged based upon our works. But we will all answer. And until or unless we truly surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we will live in defeat the rest of our lives and the attack of the enemy through his deceptive works will assault our mind and we will live without joy, without peace, and ineffectiveness until the day we die. And the third, bringing every thought, there it is again, noma, every thought of our mind into captivity, and that's a present tense verb. It's an ongoing thing. You don't just 
get there and then, then cruise. It is an ongoing vigilance where we, looking unto Jesus, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, looking to him, speaking the truth. This is where we began the message, the invisible battle for the mind. Satan can and does assault our minds. Our response can and must be continual, constant. That is why my most frequent prayer every day as thoughts and images and sounds come to be processed in my mind, this little prayer that I pray silently under my breath, people would think I was going woohoo if I said it out loud, but I say, that is sin. I turn from it. It's sin. I turn from it. Stop it at the door. Let it in. Start to dwell on it in your mind. You're halfway there already. Stop it at the door. That is sin. I turn from it. How do I know it's sin? Because I've been reading my Bible. That's why I read the entire Bible every year, cover to cover, including concordance and maps. No, not really. It is why for the past 40 years, 45 years, I have always sought to be a participant in a home group of some kind. Some small group where there is accountability and iron is sharpening iron. And it's why, and I know this really sounds extreme, but it's why when I'm asleep and I have a sinful dream, that I just can't shake. I consciously try to wake up, take a walk, and break the cycle of the dream that is in my mind that is displeasing to the Lord. I know that's really radical. This is interesting too. When I was a teenager, when the hormones are running wild, I read my Bible every night until I went to sleep. You know what happened? My dreams took on a whole different flavor. It was a rare thing, even at that time in my life, to have a sensual dream because I was feeding my mind with Scripture. I take this warfare seriously. Identify the lie. For me, fear was a huge issue. I experienced clinical depression as a result of fear run amok. And it wasn't until I was able to identify what was going on that I was able to apply the remedy. And that was to tell myself the truth, God's truth, and to begin to speak it using the shield of the faith. My Bible tells me that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And that's a verse that is deeply embedded into my mind because of the challenge that I've had in in that particular area. And when we apply the truth, not just speaking it, but we believe it and we obey it, sometimes it involves pain. It is pain. But God, it's as if there are two doors. We We can face the the door that says medicate 
run, deny, or we can enter the door that says pain, facing what it is, that the lie that has caused you the strongholds that you have, and enter into it, speaking truth and then doing what it says. I preach this often, and you probably think I'm a broken record up here, but this is the most significant spiritual reality that I have discovered in the last 25 years, namely, that most of what I face comes not from my own flesh, but from demonic and satanic thoughts, darts thrown at my mind to defeat me. And as I cut them off at the pass with the shield of the faith, speaking truth back, I've been able to overcome all of this stuff and live so much more successfully in the life of Christ. The fight does not originate in the flesh, I believe. It originates in the satanic realm. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we face the reality of the spiritual warfare, the desire of a powerful enemy to defeat and destroy us, I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would simply do what the Word of God says, surrender to you, and apply the truths of the Word of God to every situation that we face, that we might live in freedom, freedom from ourselves, mostly, to live the life of Christ and to know truth, joy, peace, and Father, fruitfulness in our lives as we live here until Jesus comes. May that be our heritage as we choose to stand. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.